Thank you so much, John. It's, it's, thank you for the opportunity of having me here this morning to share with you. And also for those joining us online, um, bienvenida para los hablantes de español, bienvenida igual. My family and I have been serving in Mexico City as international workers for the past seven years now. And we also have prayer magnets at the information booth. Um, for those online, um, maybe you can uh, find a way to grab one of these. Uh, it's a prayer magnet because you're supposed to cover up prayer cards so that we get the prayer first. Do you see how that works? Um, also, it has a QR code, which who knew that was going to make a comeback, um, where you can sign up for our midweek prayer pick that we publish every week um, so that um, you can stay up to date with what we are doing and, and where, uh, how God is at work in us. Uh, when Vanessa and I moved to Mexico, Belle, our oldest, was three years old. Merida was seven months, and Maximus didn't even exist. We spent the first two years in language study and cultural adaptation. In year three, I served on leadership with a local church plant. In year four, we, we helped to establish the foundation of a church plant called Corum Deo that just celebrated its third year anniversary and is completely Mexican-led. In year five, we journeyed with two couples toward establishing a missional community, but their life circumstances prevented us from forming one. In year six, we launched a language exchange in the kids' school and outreach events until COVID shut everything down, and we were told to stay in our apartment from March until August. As restrictions loosened, in year seven, we journeyed with a handful of unbelieving friends that we invited into an alpha course and finished right before we came back to Canada for a year of home assignment. And many of those years were very hard, some painful, but we got to see God move and work in us and in those around us. And the Apostle Paul got to see this as well as he went on his missionary journeys and planted churches. Toward the end of Paul's life, after multiple missionary journeys of preaching the gospel, discipling believers, and planting churches, he finds himself in prison in Rome. But that doesn't stop Paul from checking in on and continuing to disciple these new churches living in non-Jewish areas, being confronted with various false teachings. Although Paul didn't plant the Colossian church, it was probably planted by Epaphras when Paul was preaching in Ephesus for three years, but he writes to the church in Colossia to encourage them in their faith and to continue to mature. The main theme that he points the church to is that Jesus is the Lord of all creation. Jesus has secured redemption for his people through the gospel, enabling them to participate with, his, with Jesus in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his fullness. And this is why Paul brings up the idea of being in Christ, which is used throughout the letter. Colossians 1.28 sums up Paul's message by saying, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Likewise, in Colossians 2, 6, Paul applies the idea by saying, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Paul was very concerned that the church would find its life and its identity in Christ, and that this foundation would lead them and move them to watch their life and their doctrine closely, as Paul would say to Timothy, who also helped Paul write this letter. And as the church understood their place in the deeper life of Christ, then they would be in a strategic position to fulfill the mission of the church to make disciples 
among their community and to the ends of the earth. So as the letter draws to a close in chapter four, Paul gives a brief set of instructions based upon his teaching of being in Christ. And that's what I want us to look at this morning as well and to share with you some examples from our time in Mexico. So if you have your, your Bibles or your devices, you can open them to Colossians chapter four, verse two to six. Colossians chapter four, verse two to six. And as you're turning there, I want us to see that the deeper life in Christ leads us to prayer, to proclamation, and to perception. Prayer, proclamation, and perception. So let's read Colossians chapter four, verse two to six. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, you are good. And you're, in your goodness, you have given us Jesus, and you have given us your word. And you are great. And in your greatness, I pray that you would apply your word to our hearts so that we may know you more. And Father, that you may spur us on to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verses 2 to 3a, we see Paul exhorting the church to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Paul tells the church to pray and then request prayer. He says, hey, church, keep praying, and while you're at it, pray for us. A prayer is essential to the missionary endeavor, but missionary praying starts personally. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer. We have to be praying people because prayer is our lifeline to being in Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings us in him and him in us, but our communion with Christ that matures us and sends us deeper in Christ is prayer and his word working together in the life of a believer and a church. The church needed to be praying because they needed Jesus to show up and intervene as they lived in their pagan society surrounded by people who had never heard of Jesus. And prayer isn't a duty to try and twist a distant God's arm to listen. Because we are in Christ by his death and that forgave us of our sins, prayer is thanksgiving. Paul tells the church to be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. It's a joy and a privilege to meet with my Savior and my Lord. I get to talk to the creator and ruler of all things. But this doesn't come naturally, so we have to persist and be watchful in it. Our first year in Mexico City, my family who Belle was three years old, Mary was still a baby, strapped to Vanessa's chest, facing out, and, and we get onto the, the metro line, the subway system, and, and in a city of 22 million people, it is always packed, and you're always crammed in there. 
And so I'm looking for the next station to make sure we don't miss our station of when we're getting off. And I look back and Mary is playing with the nipples of the large man in front of her. And I'm horrified. I'm turning beet red because I don't know what to do in this situation. And I muttered in my very broken Spanish, oh, I'm so sorry. And he, of course, was very gracious and said, oh, no, it's okay, I love children. But if you have children, you know that you have to be watchful of the children. It's like a guard on a tower. He has to stay awake even during peacetime because everything could change in an instant. And we all experienced that during COVID, didn't we? So Paul tells us that we are to be praying and maturing in our communion with Jesus long before the crisis happens, long before we are in a desperate situation, long before the temptation comes, long before we find ourselves believing false doctrine. Being in Christ allows us to walk and talk with our Lord about all sorts of things. But we see Paul requesting prayer specifically that God may open to us a door for the word. Picture this. Paul is sitting in house arrest with a Roman soldier on guard. His mobility is restricted. His freedoms are limited. He has to depend on others for food and necessities. But even in the midst of all these restrictions, he is asking that the church would pray that he would have a chance to share the gospel with whoever God brings along. We need to be praying this for our international workers and for ourselves. God wants to answer this prayer for you and through you. In 2017, we were in Mexico City's major earthquake that brought massive devastation. I remember I was running in the park and the ground in front of me started rolling like waves, stopping me in my tracks. And the tall buildings next to me were clapping. Vanessa was in our seven-story apartment with Maximus as a baby and had to ride it out as the building cracked and broke around them. God led us to a beautiful little apartment on the ground floor of a two-story house in downtown Mexico City after that. As we moved in, we asked our churches and our prayer supporters to pray this prayer for us that God would open a door for the word with our new neighbors. Our first neighbor was our landlord who, we li who lived above us. So we joined our churches in praying that we would have an opportunity to know her and to share the gospel with her. We started praying about her. Then we invited her and her wife to join us for meals and movie nights. And before we, the meal, we would always say, it's our tradition to pray for each meal, to thank God for the food. You're welcome to participate, but you don't have to. And they would always say yes. So we prayed for them each time that they joined us for a meal. And after a year of praying for them, they invited us up to their apartment for a meal. And I felt prompted to ask if there was anything they specifically wanted prayer for that they could pray along with me. And they asked for prayer for their jobs and some other things. And I was able to pray with them. As I continued to grow, as we continued to grow in our relationship, sometimes our conversations would present opportunities to share the gospel with our landlord. As we 
pray that God would open doors for others, it also starts to make us aware of the opportunities God is giving each of us. We pray for our international workers, and our international workers are praying for our local churches, and God is opening doors for the word in Canada, in Mexico, and around the world. And who, who are the people around you that you are praying about? Who are the unsaved people around you that do not believe that Jesus died for their sins so that they may have life that you can ask to pray with? And as you increase their spiritual awareness of God through prayer, you are able to have gospel conversations with them about the one you are praying to, which is Paul's request. Look at verses three and four. It says, at the, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Prayer makes us dependent on God to do what only he can do in people's lives. And as we consistently pray for people, God then uses us as his means for the spread of his gospel. As we face the reality of sharing Jesus with others, we become desperate for God to work because we know we don't have what it takes, and that drives us to prayer. Oftentimes, I find in my own life that when I'm not praying for opportunities to share the gospel with others, then I don't look for opportunities to share the gospel. And this results in stopping to pray for opportunities to share the word, and so I never actually share Jesus with anyone. There are seasons in my life that I look back on and realize that I didn't even have a spiritual conversation with anyone. And it also happens to be a season when my prayer life was very dry and dull and selfish. Have you experienced that? But Paul wants the church in Colossae to pray for him and the team to have opportunities to declare the gospel, the mystery of Christ to others despite his imprisonment. He asked the church to engage with God so that others may hear the good news of Jesus. Paul wants his message of the gospel to be clear. Paul is wrestling through how to share Jesus in such a way that the Roman guard outside his door will receive it and understand it. And this is what we have to do, whether in Mexico City or in Saskatchewan. We should wrestle with how to share the unchanging gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection with our friends and neighbors in a way that will be clear to them. And if this task sounds overwhelming, it is. That's why Paul is asking for prayer for it. That's why we must be in prayer because we feel inadequate and overwhelmed and in need of God to show up in helping us obey him by making disciples of our unbelieving neighbors and the nations. If you're wondering what the gospel of Jesus is, whether you're here or online, then please ask one of the pastors after the message. As COVID restrictions started to release in our city of about 22 million people. The only gathering spot was outdoor seating at cafes and only with one other person. So I started praying while I contacted friends that we had made through our language exchanges that were shut down due to COVID. And I messaged one of my friends and he agreed to meet with me for coffee. I had known him for years through other language exchange events in the city and we had friendly interactions in the past. The first meeting went well and we enjoyed our conversation and said we should do it again sometime. That week, as I prayed for him, I felt God asking me to ask him to read the Bible with me. 
So I got our churches and, and supporters praying Colossians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 for me. We met again for Starbucks, and as we talked about his upbringing in a Catholic Franciscan school, I knew I needed to invite him to read the Bible with me. So after a quick mental prayer, I plunged in, and he responded, Oh, Bear, I have always wanted to read the Bible with someone who understood it. I would love to. We kept talking, and then he got pretty serious, and he looked at me, and he said, Bear, I'm gay. Do you still want to read the Bible with me? And I looked back at him seriously, and I said, Amigo, of course I do. And we would meet almost weekly and read little sections of the book of Mark together and discuss it. But as I prepared for each meeting, I desperately prayed for God to move and work in his life because I felt so overwhelmed with the societal and identity complexities of my friend. I wanted him to fall in love with Jesus, and I needed God to draw my friend to himself in his irresistible grace so that then my friend would respond to the gospel like the man who found a treasure hidden in a field and sells all that he has with joy to have Jesus. I wanted my friend to love Jesus so much that with joy he would sell all that he has to have him. After a year of meeting regularly, as restrictions allowed, Vanessa and I invited him to do an Alpha course with us and another gay friend. He was excited to come, and during the Alpha weekend, we were able to minister to him through prayer for some pretty big life events. And the last video we showed was, What is the Church?, and then invited the Alpha participants to join us at a local church the next Sunday. And my friend came, and it, it happened to be a communion Sunday. And Vanessa explained to him what communion was in the Protestant tradition, and, and then he asked me, Bear, can, can I participate in this? And I explained again that taking communion is a public declaration to the local community of faith that Jesus has forgiven you of your sins and that he is the Lord, the King, the boss, the ruler of your life. If you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you have made Jesus the exclusive ruler of your life, then yes. And he thought about it for a moment and responded, Bear, this is me. And we were able to take communion together based on his declaration that Jesus was his Savior and Lord. And my friend still has a long journey of discipleship ahead as Jesus, by his Spirit, moves him from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of his life. But we continue to pray for him in desperation for God to do what only he can do in my friend's heart and mind. This is a great example of what Paul is asking the church in Colossia to pray for. And as a result, I know that it motivated the church to start seeing opportunities for them to share the mystery of Christ with their friends and neighbors. Pray this for yourself daily, and then watch how God opens doors for spiritual conversations that lead to gospel conversations. And when this happens, you're going to feel inadequate and overwhelmed. So you ask your church family to pray for you like Paul asked the church in Colossia. And as this happens, we start to see the gospel move in our neighborhoods and city because God is opening doors for the gospel to spread and we remain desperate for him to show up. Please pray this for us. But who do you need to start praying for to have the opportunity to share Jesus with them? Paul knew that the gospel spreads through prayer that leads to proclamation, but Paul was also an experienced missionary. 
He had faced difficulties with sharing the gospel in a clear way that was understandable. He was very aware that the culture of his upbringing was very different than many of the non-Jewish cultures God called him to take the gospel to. So Paul became perceptive of the people around him. If you remember, when Paul entered Athens, he walked around the city and found a statue with an inscription to the unknown God. And Paul then used this perceptively as a bridge to share the gospel, to share about the one true God who took on flesh and died for our sins, rising again that we may have forgiveness and new life. And as Paul finishes his instructions to the church in this letter, he shares with them that they need to be perceptive. We need prayer because we can't save anyone. We need to proclaim the gospel because as Paul wrote to the Romans, it is the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But we also need perception to be curious and observant of those around us, to try to figure out their story and then how the gospel is good news for them. International workers have to do this because we're entering a new language and oftentimes a drastically new culture where things don't function how we expect them to function because we didn't grow up there. IWs have to be perceptive students of culture and language or we will never be able to share the gospel, the mystery of Christ in a clear way that people will understand. Oftentimes, people do not believe the gospel because they hate Jesus, but because we haven't taken the time to help them understand the gospel and their need for Jesus. In verses 5 and 6, Paul instructs them to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul is assuming a missionary approach of the church. They aren't isolating or hiding or avoiding the pagan culture in which they live, but are to be perceptive of it so that as the church engages with those outside the faith, there is a savoriness to the interaction that has people wanting more. There is a rational understanding of the world they live in and how the gospel impacts and influences every area of life. Being perceptive is not taking up arms and arguments against culture, but understanding culture, understanding humanity, understanding how to communicate the mystery of Christ. And this takes study. It takes observation. This takes perception. And this perception drives us to prayer because we realize how difficult it is and how much we don't understand. Prayer then gives us the boldness to declare the mystery of Christ in a clear way to each person that God brings our way. And then we pray in desperation for God to do what only he can do in that person's life with the seed of the gospel planted from our conversations. And we grow from the experience in how to be more gracious with our speech and more capable of knowing how we ought to answer each person. Paul is giving us all the tools we need to make disciples of our neighbors and to the ends of the earth among the hardest to reach. Vanessa and I started a high hospitality style of ministry in Mexico City where we would invite families and people around our dinner table and increase our guest spiritual awareness to have gospel conversations. At one meal, we invited two believing couples that we were journeying with in discipleship to join us and 
And then we also invited two unbelieving couples. One unbelieving couple was lesbian and the other unbelieving couple were friends from our kids' school. And during the course of the meal, I was chatting with our believing friends about church things and I noticed that the father of the kid from the the father of the kid's friend from the school was listening intently to our conversation. So I looked over and I asked, what do you believe about Jesus? And his eyes got big and he passionately launched into a 30 minute explanation of how there are 12 levels of the universe and Jesus is a being of the fifth level that enters into our time and space. And the more he talked, the wider my believing friend's eyes got. We ended the supper and said our goodbye to our unbelieving friends. And as we were cleaning up, talking with our believing friends, one came to me still wide-eyed, and he said, Bear, my parents would never have these people at their table. Let me tell you why that's tragic. His grandfather planted a church that his father is a pastor at and where our friend was serving on leadership and preaching. It's so easy to get so comfortable with the church, which is a great thing and necessary that we neglect to invite people around our table. Paul demonstrated to the church in Colossae what walking in wisdom toward outsiders looked like in, the, in his missionary journeys. Paul is assuming that the church in Colossae is also walking in wisdom toward outsiders, but more often I hear from Mexican and Canadian pastors that their biggest struggle is to get the church to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, to engage with unbelieving neighbors and coworkers and friends. The body of Christ was never meant to be seated behind walls, but to scale walls in order that the nations may hear. There are still hundreds of millions of people in this world that will be born and live their entire life and die without ever having the chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are God's means to take the gospel to these people, and it starts with our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends. God wants to spread his good news to your city and to raise up faithful workers to take it to the ends of the earth. And both of those people are sitting in this church this morning. I believe that. And it would be a lot easier for the one who goes to have been raised in a church that has already been on, move, on the move, desperately praying for the lost at home and in the world, sharing the gospel at home and praying for those sharing it abroad and growing in their perception of the gospel it is so much easier for the one who goes if they have already been practicing all the necessary skills to declare the mystery of Christ, even through suffering, to make it clear as they ought to speak in their local church setting and community. It starts right here with you, and it starts with continuing steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Thank you for your prayers. Our international workers need more. Giving to the Global Advance Fund provides for our family of churches to proclaim the gospel among people with little or no access to the gospel. Thank you for your participation in the gospel. A great way for a local church to do this is through a seamless link that includes reciprocal prayer and communication along with giving and strategic on-site visits. All the stories I shared were made possible because of the Global Advance Fund and our seamless links 
so that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. And as Paul writes to Archippus in verse 17 of this chapter, he says, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Thank you for walking with us to fulfill ours. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word for us. Thank you for Jesus Christ, that he would become a missionary taking on flesh, entering a new language and culture to live the life that we cannot live and to die our death because of our sins, that we should have died. But rising again, defeating death and defeating sin and defeating the enemy so that all peoples, all languages, all nations may hear your good news. Thank you for Jesus. Father, thank you for your local church here. Thank you for how they have been participating in the gospel, both locally and to the ends of the earth. Father, thank you for them. Father, I pray that you would continue to use them mightily in the city of Saskatoon. Father, that you would use them incredibly as they raise up and as they send out workers to the ends of the earth, to the hardest places of the world that are, are resistant to the gospel, but still need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ for themselves. Father, I pray that you would raise up workers out of this church that would be sent and that would go. And Father, I pray that it would start here as they reach their neighbors, their friends, new Canadians, indigenous. Father, use this church for your kingdom, for your glory, to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.